Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikbat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvatisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So I'd like to begin today's sermon with a photograph of a place not... Oh man, really? <laughs> take it off, take it off, take it off, take it off. Okay. <clears throat> I'd like to begin today's sermon with a photograph of a place not... <laughs> We're not getting along today. <laughs> All right. A place not so far away. In fact, if you got up and walked through the double doors and turned around, you'd see it. But you don't have to do that. For your convenience, I thought I'd show you a picture of what it says above those doors before you come into the sanctuary. Aren't you surprised? <laughs> All right, let's take a look. So this is right outside the doors here, and this is what it says. Anyone read Hebrew without the vowels? It's pretty tough. It says, Ma norah hamakom hazeh ein zeki im beit Elohim vezeh sha'ar hashamayim. You got it? All right. Well, for those uh, who aren't yet fluent in Hebrew, it's actually a quote from this week's Parsha. How fearsome or awesome this place is. This is none other than the house of God. This must be the gate of heaven. Right? And this is a quote from who? Who's saying this? Yes, our, our dubious ancestor, Jacob, after he fools his brother and and father and runs off with the inheritance of the firstborn son and the blessing of the father. And he has a dream of angels going up and down a staircase at a particular place. At first it's just called the place, in fact. All right? And uh, then he gives it a name. He says it is known as Bethel. What does that mean? Do we, yes, house of God, right? So what is the lesson of this story? Well, and why do we have this quote outside of our sanctuary? Have you ever noticed it? You ever wondered what it means? Well, today we're going to find out, all right? So we're going to take a look at this place, Bethel, and tell the story of this place in the scriptures. So I'd like to start off with uh, a map here. So first of all, where is Bethel? Can you see this? Okay. All right. So uh, have you found Bethel? I circled it in blue. Yes, all right, so um, it's close to what? IE, right? It's close to AI or IE or however you say that, right? So those are uh, related, actually, and Bethel and IE in, in the scripture. And uh, it's just north of what big, important city? Jerusalem, right? Okay, so it's often compared to Jerusalem because, you know, Jerusalem, of course, is another sacred place in the scriptures, but because it's north, it's about 10 miles north, it's considered part of the northern kingdom. This is um, the period when there was a divided kingdom. Do you remember that? Some of us are old enough to remember that, okay? And, uh, <laughs> and so, so the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called what? It's there. 
Judah, okay? And so I want you to remember this, right? Because this is going to come up later, okay? And so we see Bethel is kind of one of the capitals of this northern kingdom, right? It's associated with Samaria. You see the Samaria capital up there and, and all those things. And, you know, of course, Galilee is up there. And uh, so that's, that's kind of how we think about that. And then Jerusalem is associated with Judah, and it's the capital of the southern kingdom. It's associated with a particular king. Which king uh, ruled from there? King David. That's right. Okay? And so Bethel is more northern, and Jerusalem is southern. Even though they're pretty close, we see why that is. Does that make sense? You with me, with me so far? All right, so let's leave this map in our minds, at least, as we continue to think about Abraham. And uh, this is uh, the first time we encounter Bethel, is uh, when Abraham encounters God there. But it's a little bit different from the Jacob story. So let's see what happens. Then Adonai said to Abram, Get going out from your land, lech lecha, and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be what? Blessed, okay? So Abram went, just as Adonai had spoken to him. Also Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from where? Haran. Keep that in mind, okay? Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had acquired and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they left to go to the land of Canaan. And they entered the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the place of Shechem, as big as Moray's big tree. Shechem, I don't know if you remember that from the map, it's a little bit further north, um, but in the same general area. Then Adonai appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your seed or your descendants. So there he built an altar to Adonai who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the mountain to the east of Bethel and erected his tent with Bethel to the west and Ai. To the east, remember those two are close by. There he built an altar to Adonai and called on the name of Adonai. So Abram kept on journeying southward. So what happens here? Abraham builds an altar there, and it's connected to the Abrahamic calling that we should be familiar with, right? To bless all the nations of the earth through his descendants. An altar in the ancient world means that it's established as a sacred space. But notice that Abraham here is not surprised by the presence of God, right? He's walking in trust, he's walking in relationship with God, in obedience, and he's walking in his calling to be a blessing, right? We see that. You know, he's not perfect, but he's, he's basically doing it. By contrast, we come to this week's Parsha about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who has a kind of different reaction, all right. Notice many of the places uh, mentioned in his grandfather Abraham's journey, they're repeated here. And so, and remember, Jacob has just fled his brother Esau and his father Isaac after deceiving them. So he comes to the place. Then Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. So Beersheba is in the south, and Haran is where? In the north, right? And so that's near 
um, today near Damascus, near Syria, okay? And this is uh, the land of his, uh, of his uh, family, right? He's going back toward the family of Abraham so that he can meet Laban and Rachel, his, you know, favorite wife. But that's another story. Okay, so he happened upon a certain place. He's traveling north, and he spent the night there, for the sun had set. So he took one of the stones from the place and put it by his head and lay down in that place. He dreamed. All of a sudden, there was a stairway set up on the earth and its top reaching to the heavens. And behold, angels of God going up and down on it. Surprisingly, Adonai was standing on top of it. And he said, I am Adonai, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your seed. Your seed will be as the dust of the land. You will burst forth to the west, to the east, the north, and the south. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Sounds familiar, right? And in your seed. Behold, I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised you. Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place. And I was unaware. So he was afraid and said, how fearsome this place is. This is none other than the house of God. This must be the gate of heaven. Does that sound familiar? That's what's out there, right? Early in the morning, Jacob got up and took the stone, which he had placed by his head, and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Beth-el. That's right. Although originally the city's name was Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me this way that I'm going and provide me food to eat and clothes to wear and I return in Shalom to my father's house, then Adonai will be my God. So this stone which I set up as a memorial stone will become God's house, right? Beth El. And of everything you provide me, I will definitely give you a tenth of it. So here we have kind of a different reaction to this place, Bethel. The big difference is that Jacob is amazed. He's full of fear or awe to be in the house of God, Bethel, a sacred space. He just kind of happens upon it, right? He just happens to be where he falls asleep, and uh, he, he reaches there at the sunset, and that's where he ends up, and that's where God meets with Jacob. So why is he so amazed and fearful? What do you think? Why is that? Some rabbis thought it was because of his previous actions, right? Remember, Hashem identifies himself as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. So maybe Jacob is thinking, oh, right, Isaac. I just left from there. Not so good, okay? So maybe he's thinking about his father who he just recently swindled the blessing from. And Jacob really hasn't done anything to merit God's covenantal direction. Jacob is no Abraham, and yet he has the exact same calling, right? God's calling and gifts are irrevocable, right? Jacob is in awe of God's working and intervening in his life to bring blessing to the nations, despite his deceptions and character problems. But one thing is clear. Jacob is not seeking God. God is seeking him, right? Isn't that how it is with many of us, right? How many of us were seeking after God and the ways of God 
when God reached out to us by his holy presence. We see that Jacob's character and purpose are transforming because first he wants to take the blessing, but now God wants him to be the blessing. Another reason Jacob might be surprised is he's simply not aware of the holiness of this place, the sacredness of Bethel, until God shows up. Let's think about this like an ancient person, an ancient Near East person. You know I like to say that, right? Okay, so they're in the land of, what's the name of this land that they're in? It's called Canaan, right? So who is worshipped there? It's the Canaanite gods, right, by the Canaanites. The chief among them is even named El, which in Hebrew, of course, means God. But this is not the house of the Canaanite god, right? This is the house of the god above all other so-called gods. A common theme that runs throughout Scripture and appears often when we see this place, Bethel, is that there is a temptation of idolatry, which we'll see you know, later on as we look at it. The Bible is showing us that there is one God, Adonai, yud heh vav in, in this text, right? And he is over all powers and over all authorities. And other powers are not to be called on and not to be relied on. Adonai can make sacred and holy a space that was previously connected to Canaanite gods. He can make something holy and set apart. So what's the point? Worshiping Adonai alone is connected to the covenant and connected to the calling of Israel to be a light to the nations. It's connected to morality and justice, not stealing blessings, but being a blessing. The more that Israel compromises on this, what do we see? Especially with these Canaanite deities, right? What happens? The more they slip from their purpose, the more immorality the further away from God's ways. What's an example of this? Well, we think of King Solomon, right? The more that he follows after these other gods, the more he goes into away from the ways of God, right? And that's, that's a theme in Scripture that we're supposed to learn from, okay? In religious jargon, this is known as syncretism, right? Does this apply to our generation? Yeah. We worship Adonai, but you know, we also still rely on ourselves, or we rely on what others think about us, or we rely on money, or we rely on power over others until those things actually rule over us. We need God, but, you know, we also really need something else, right? This is the, this is the, 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 the flavor of idolatry that happens. And uh, it's actually in the text here as well. The stone that Jacob uses to mark the spot, it's called, uh, it's, there's a particular name for it in Hebrew. And later in scripture, these types of stones are frowned upon because they lead to idol worship. This is from Leviticus 26, verses 1, using the same word uh, as pillar or stone that, um, that Jacob uses. It says this. You are not to make idols for yourselves, nor raise up an engraved image or a standing stone, or place any carved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am Adonai, your God. So on the one hand, the stone is good, right? It's a witness to the dream and the divine promises for Jacob. But on the other hand, 
the stone pillar can lead to idolatry. This shows us that even good things in our lives, things from God, can be idols if we look to rely on them too much. So to sum up so far, if we maintain space as sacred, that means we avoid relying on other forces and not take the blessing by whatever means we want, but rather to be a blessing. These things are all connected in the scriptures. You see that? So let's jump to the next time we see this place, Bethel, and some of the same things crop up. This is also in this week's Parsha. It's toward the end. It's from uh, Genesis 31. So for context, Jacob has married Laban's two daughters. He's worked for Laban seven years for each, and then six more for taking care of his sheep. So anyone good at math? How How many years is that? 20 years of work for this guy, right? And uh, let's pick it up in uh, Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard the words Laban's sons were saying. Jacob has taken everything that belongs to our father, and from what belongs to our father, he's made all these riches. That's uh, how I imagine they sound. They're kvetching. Then Jacob saw Laban's face, and he noticed his expression wasn't the same as it was just a day or two before. Hmm... Then Adonai said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. That's the land of Isaac and Esau, right? Okay. So Jacob explains to Rachel and Leah how Laban tried to change his salary, and he's not getting the favor that he used to, um, and how God protected him and blessed him, the God of his father Isaac. So he, he c- comes up with a scheme Uh, and he uh, relates an instruction from God in verse 13. So this is what he says. I am the God of Bethel. Remember Bethel, right? Where you anointed a memorial stone, where you made a vow to me. Get up now and leave this land and return to the land of your relatives. Then Rachel answered along with Leah, and they said to him, Is there still a portion and inheritance for us in our father's house? Aren't we considered foreigners to him? For he has sold us and has also completely used up our bridal price. For all the riches that God has taken away from our father is for us and for our children. So now everything God said to you, do it. So he's going to get away from Laban and go back to his family with his wives and all of his sheep and everything. Then Jacob got up and put his children and wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock and all his possessions that he had acquired the livestock in his possession that he acquired in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac to the land of Canaan. But while Laban went to shear his flocks, Rachel stole the idols that belonged to her father, while Jacob stole the heart from Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. He himself fled with everything that belonged to him, and he got up and crossed the river and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So later what happens is that Rachel actually hides the idols, also called teraphim, under her saddle and while she's on the camel. And Laban catches up to them to complain that Jacob stole away in the middle of the night, to complain that somebody stole his idols, to complain that Jacob took his daughters, and just generally to complain, right? So what are the takeaways here? The God of Bethel, why does Jacob bring that up? Because that means revelation to Jacob. This is how he knows God. He knows God from this Bethel experience. 
This is the God who took care of him, even when he wasn't the best person, so that Jacob could be transformed. But there's another big question here I had when reading this, and you might have the same question. What's your question after this episode? Is it about Rachel? Yeah. Why would she take the household gods or teraphim? Well, thankfully, the Midrash, the sages, have a lot of, put a lot of thought into this. So this is what they think, and you can tell me what you think later. So if we see Rachel in a positive light, perhaps it was to keep Laban, her father, from using them, right, and falling into idolatry. Also, in the ancient world, these teraphim were used to divine things, to figure things out. So perhaps she feared that Laban would use them to find out where they were, although he did eventually anyway. Perhaps it was because she was concerned about her inheritance. Remember, she talks about that, as she states earlier. So she took the idols because the idols uh, in the ancient world transferred the rights of the eldest male, the property inheritance, or birthright. Sounds familiar, right? Or maybe, maybe... She also relied on these idols to some degree and believed in their power. The text doesn't say. Perhaps it is a mixture of all these reasons. After all, Bethel stories, they have positive and negative aspects mixed together, right? There's the worship of the Lord, but also kind of these other things sort of creep in there. And I also think this story points to a later episode where who are Rachel's sons? She has two sons, right? Who are her two sons? Joseph and Benjamin. There's another story later on when one of her sons, Joseph, puts a cup in the other one's backpack, right? And then he goes and runs after them, right, in order to bring about redemption and restoration. So it's kind of a retelling of this story, but in a different way. But that's, you know, that's another story. It's just something I thought about. So the final chapter in the Bethel Jacob story is found in Genesis 35. And this is pretty interesting. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So he's saying, go back to Bethel. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on all the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. So they had the protection of God, right? Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. That's the God of the house of God, right? Because it was there that God revealed to him, revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. So here we see Jacob has taken to heart this lesson, right? He's cleaned out the idolatry in his family, and we see the protection and the blessing that emanate from this decision. But, you know, if we look at Bethel over time, it kind of goes back and forth, right, in this place. This is after the time of Jacob. So in the book of Judges 4, it was in Bethel that Deborah held court and led the Israelites 
So that's good or bad. That's positive, right? You know, women in leadership, and she's, you know, a godly woman. That's great. In Judges 20, the children of Israel go to Bethel to inquire of the Lord. So that's good or bad. That's good. You know, they're using the sacred space right. In 2 Kings 2, some young men appear to taunt Elisha for being bald. Not a good idea. You should not do that. I'm just, you know, I don't have a necessarily a personal stake in this story, but where was I? Okay, so they're, they're, they're saying, go up, baldy, go up, baldy, right? What does go up mean, right? So that probably means that he should go up and worship their gods at Bethel. That's what, where this takes place. So because they're not only taunting him, but possibly promoting idolatry, what happens to them? Some nice, friendly bears get to meet them. Okay, so that's not so positive, okay? The period of the divided kingdom. Remember we saw the map, right? It was a rival worship center. What was the other worship center besides Bethel? Jerusalem. That was where the temple was, right? And so uh, Jeroboam, he has this idea. Well, everyone's going to worship down in Jerusalem, and we're going to be, you know, out of, uh, out of favor. So what should I do? I know. I'll build a golden calf here at Bethel and say, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt, right? Good or not so good? Not so good. Okay. Eventually, things get so bad that there's a reformer, Josiah, who tears down the idolatrous worship at Bethel and, and got rid of that unholy cow, right? And he also gets rid of the teraphim. That's the same word that the, the household gods that used in the Rachel story. So he gets rid of that as well at Bethel. So sometimes it's a place to seek the God of Israel, but more often it becomes a center for elevating the gods of the Canaanites. And this brings us to the time of the second temple in the New Covenant, when Yeshua meets the Samaritan woman. And where is that? Where is the Samaritan woman? She's in... Samaria, which is where? North or south? It's in the north. And remember our map of Bethel in the beginning? So they're having this debate because they're just coming out of this divided kingdom. There's the same mindset. There's the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. And this is what we find in John chapter 4. Sir, this woman tells him, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you all say that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. See, they're still fighting over the same thing. Yeshua tells her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. And here the word for Jews is eudaios, right? Which if you were here last year, you remember my, my sermon about that. But an hour is coming, it is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people as his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Somebody say, spirit and truth. Remember, eudaios, there's a couple ways you could translate that, right? One of the ways we talked about was Judeans, meaning those from Judea, or Judah, which is where? In the south, right? That's Jerusalem. That's the city of David. Perhaps Yeshua is alluding to the fact that salvation 
has to come out of Jerusalem, right? Not out of the north, right? The line of Judah. The Redeemer is descended from Judah and King David. But we also notice that's not his main point. He doesn't get stuck there, right? What does he say? He says, whether it's in the north, in Samaria, or in the south, the main thing is to do what? Worship God without worshiping or leaning on something else. Worship Adonai in spirit and truth. Remember, like Jacob and Josiah, what did they do? They cleaned out the sacred space of Bethel, and they got rid of those idols. This is also a major part of Yeshua's ministry. Doesn't he do the same thing? Yeah. And in his time, they're worshiping other things. They're worshiping mammon, right? The, 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 the god of money. They're dabbling in looking to this or looking to that to bring meaning and hope and prosperity. There's the presence of, as we read in Mark today, unclean spirits. Where does that come from? That comes from idolatry, right? And he comes to clean it out, to make the space, the land of Israel, sacred. It's the same calling that Jacob and Abraham had. So this is the one who best fulfilled Abraham's calling. To not take the blessing, but to do what? To be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Only Yeshua, who empowers all of us, all his followers, to do likewise, to follow after him. So why is this quote from the Parsha on our doors? Because our sanctuary has potential to be the gates of heaven. This has potential to be the house of of the presence of God. Tikvat Israel has potential to be a conduit of blessing. This space can be holy space, but first we need to clean out this space before the Lord. Let's pray. Avinu, our Father, thank you that you've given us these narratives in Scripture to encourage us. Um, we do worship you alone, Lord, and we ask that you help us to repent, reveal to us the things that we rely on that are, that are not you, Lord. Even if they're good, even if they're from you, Lord, we, we need to rely only on you because you are our source and you are um, the wellspring of life. And in, in, in following you alone and worshiping you alone, do we have the ability to walk in our calling, to be a blessing and to, um, to bring love and morality and the fullness of your kingdom on the earth, Lord. And, uh, but only by your strength and only in you, Lord. And so we ask that you help us to uh, continually repent, not just on Yom Kippur, you know, but to continually turn back to you, Lord, um, that we would see the fullness of your love and, uh, and walk with you. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.